Welcome, everyone, to the Road to Freedom podcast. I'm Patrick. And I'm Matt. And today we're talking about how we want to stop educating our children and destroying the entire world through uh, ignorance and debt uh, that uh, we don't need to take. So um, we need to uh, be in in debt uh, elsewhere. So uh, we're going to be talking about the non-aggression principle as it relates to uh, education, both uh, from public school stance as well as uh, covering college. We might split it up into two episodes, but... Um, we're going to kind of give a, a brief overview, and especially as it uh, relates to libertarian ideas, especially through the non-aggression principle. Um, as always, you can find the podcast at uh, a myriad of places. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, Google Play, and of course uh, we have one for YouTube for all those who uh, want to watch a 40-minute uh, scroll of our um, our poster with the audio. Uh, so that's up there, and um, uh, if you can rate it and leave reviews and tell other people that would be wonderful uh we're on episode six here uh so we're, we're not quite a real podcast yet because i think you gotta get 10 and it'd be like a super well done podcast we're at 50 so we're i mean we're almost there uh but uh we did have a, a really fun episode i really liked the last episode we did episode five where we discussed uh disney world and it's uh it's private government that it holds and seems to be uh, not in complete chaos or a uh, what Somalia looks like today, as, as libertarians are always told to move to. Uh, I mean, if if I was told to move to Disney World, I, it, I mean, it's the happiest place on earth the, from what the what I'm contractually required to say if I live there, I think. Uh, so uh, check out that one. But uh, we do we did talk about briefly uh, the city of Kalamazoo having issues with uh, how it reacts to the homeless population. Uh, we talked about uh, why uh, public property uh, has such an issue, and uh, this is one of those areas. Uh, there has been some updates uh, since we've had uh, the podcast, so uh, I'm going to turn it over to Matt, who's going to kind of give you a brief update on what we're dealing with now. Yeah, so a couple of days ago, the Occupy Kalamazoo people, um, they were moved because police were waiting on orders from like the city commissioners and everyone, everything like that, um, to do anything. Because technically, by camping in the the park, they were all they were all uh, committing misdemeanors. Um, so no one got arrested, but they actually ended up somehow. I don't know. Actually, the article didn't go into depth of how, but um, I'm guessing it was peaceful. They moved the uh, the encampment in the Bronson Park to an old fire station. Uh, I can't confirm if they're like letting them in the fire station. I think they're just camping outside, which is a lot smaller area, um, probably about what two blocks away um, in town. And they're actually letting them stay there for up to thirty days. Because <laughs> so, the big thing was, the big thing was they, uh, you know, people were getting mad because camping, and there was also also health issues because there's no links like uh, hookups. There's no showers. There's no running water. Um, you know, there's not a fountain anymore to bathe in because they got rid of that because it was racist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, there were actually construction workers working on the building right there uh, were interviewed and they said they were openly seeing, you know, drug use, defecation in the park. So might want to wait to visit there for a little while. 
Um, Downtown Kalamazoo, a family place. Yeah, a family place where you can poop in public. Yeah. Well, it, I, I think this this shows that law is inherently political. Uh, we we always think that this the law is kind of the stalwart. Uh, you know, it keeps everyone in check, but uh, it seems to be only applied when the ruling elite uh, decides to uh, send its enforcers out and uh, to to carry out the the will the will of the people by any means necessary. Yeah, there was um there was a little part in here where it was saying the. Um the county commissioner was like saying how he, when he first took his office, he was, he was sworn in and was like uphold the. He was asked if he would always uphold the, uh, the ordinances and whatnot, and you know he said yeah he would always do that. But here there comes people camping in the park and he lets them stay there for like two or three weeks until they finally decide like all right now we'll move them yeah. or now we'll we'll do whatever. It's like if if you're gonna uphold the ordinances, you gotta. Well, and I uphold them all the time. I think you said it too, where uh, you know it's it's Occupy Kalamazoo, which is a bunch of uh, predominantly white college age kids who uh, have always just wanted to do what's been on on uh, on TV uh, about what eight years ago for the Occupy Wall Street movement. Uh, well, at least they're not Antifa. That's that's all I have to say. Um, so you know, if it was yeah. just a collection of homeless people who don't have a voice, who don't have the ability to create backlash. Uh, as as much as uh, college the college students are, um, you know, I, I doubt we would be seeing this type of response. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, just a little bit more on that is I um, when I found out it was called Occupy Kalamazoo, I googled it and like I found uh, this article that the director of the um, Kalamazoo Gospel Mission, who is also under fire supposedly by these Occupy Kalamazoo people, because it really boiled down to, uh, it seems like the, a lot of the homeless people that are complaining about the gospel mission are just complaining because they center their treatment and everything around gospel, and they want they're like in one of their demands they're demanding a more a secular um, place for them to go like a secular <laughs> mission which is just stupid because it's like if you really want to become homeless they're not shoving it down your throat they even say that you're you're just you know kind of like hey you should go to church but they don't force you to the only thing they force you to do when you go into the treatment is is to not do drugs and be a drunk yeah so you know uh you can't take peyote and uh and have that type of religion but other than that i you know talk about almost literally biting the hand that feeds you uh i mean i'm sure the mission has its own problems and uh i but i think the the very fact that it's full it's it's not like there isn't other options that people can go to where there are other ones not associated with the mission. Um, but I've, I've sat in, in meetings before where the mission is there and a few other, uh, representatives from different agencies in Kalamazoo who, who assist homeless, you know, so there are other places to go, but the mission seems to be having, you know, a, a big impact and for taking absolutely hundred percent zero, hundred percent zero, I guess that makes sense. they, they fully <laughs> do not take uh, any government funding because uh, they don't want to be forced to change anything about their uh, faith-based uh, uh, way that they do it, including, uh, you know, it's called the gospel mission. And, um, you know, th- there's there's a reason for that. So, you know, that that's applaudable. Uh, and here's the thing. N- no one's forcing them to, to be there. Um, you know, if people want to leave, <clears throat> I've interacted with a 
kid before. Gosh, he was probably he was probably seventeen. Uh, interacted with him when he was literally setting a tent up on a, a private business, and uh, you know I felt sorry for him, and I I told him about the mission. I said, hey, you know, there's three hots and a cot there, pretty much, and he says, oh yeah, I I was there, but uh, I I don't I don't roll like that. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, they wanted me to uh, clean up after I got done eating, and I you know I just I just don't roll like that. I'm like, yeah, okay, Th- this is a kid. But I've also had other interactions with homeless people where the amount of of thought that they have where life owes me X uh, is so prevalent that I've had with, with these conversations. And I just want to say, look where you're at. Look at, at what you've devolved into. You know, you're living on the street. You're, um, you know, dirty. You're, you're, it's not how humans should live. And here's a place that's willing to take you in, and all you have to do is not drink and not do drugs. And if you have those issues, they do offer treatment. So if you just abide by the program, uh, they can help you out. And they're like, nope, I am owed you know, a free meal. I am owed this place. And it's just like, dude, look at where you're at. You are not owed anything. Nature is scary and tough and cruel, and so is this world. And you're going to go through hardships, and you know, if, if you don't realize that you are owed absolutely zero coming into this world. I don't know how you cannot see that when when you are fighting over a half a pack of Oreos with another um, um, homeless person. I just I, I don't know where that mentality comes from. Yeah, it's crazy this the sense of like self-entitlement some of these people get. It's like where did you get that from? Look at the decisions you've made in your life and what has happened to you in your life that you're now homeless, why would you ever think the world owes you anything? Like, you need to work for it. Go right. live in the woods and be a mountain man if you don't want to, like, adhere to society rules. Yeah. Well, and, and what we've seen issues with, with um, L.A. And, and San Francisco and, yeah, I'll just say it, California. California is always an issue. <laughs> so it's always nice to see uh, the, the terribleness that comes out of uh, socialist uh, utopias like California so that we can uh, tell people no uh, when they bring those ideas over here. Um, you know, yes. we, we see the rise of tent cities come back up and, you know, it, I, I, one of my favorite movies, they live John Carpenter, uh, you know, has, has, uh, tent cities from, from the eighties and we're seeing a rise of it again. Yeah. The, the, speaking of the, the, the socialist areas is, uh, when I was reading that article, the director of the mission was saying how it, cause he went down to go meet with these people camping out in Bronson Park and every single one of them he tried to talk to at that time said uh, they didn't want to speak with him without legal representation. So it, he even said, he was quoted <laughs> saying that um, he thinks that that uh, with their reactions being like that, that someone else is getting to them and using them to push their own agenda. So when I Googled Occupy Kalamazoo and was looking at the first few things that popped up, it came from the Michigan... Uh, Democratic Socialist webpage, and it, it, it kind of made it look like they are one of the like funders or backers of this Occupy Kalamazoo thing right now, or or at least they're trying to take advantage of it. Yeah, well, I, and I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, we, we've seen that with with other movements before. Uh, you know, paying yeah. homeless people to to protest in front of you know uh, anti union uh, places or or you know just uh, anti Republican areas. So, you know, it's it's happened before. And again, it's the the people who, uh, you know, want other people to say no to money, but then taken collections for 
their political movement and then use hapless college students who, you know, probably just want the best for homeless people. And of, of course people do, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody out there that, that, uh, you know, doesn't realize that it happens to people, uh, you know, it, uh, supposedly if we're a uh, community that cares about veterans, which, you know, for gosh, last hundred years, we, I don't think we've had that uh, type of mentality uh, come to fruition. We've had a lot of, you know, rhetoric for it, but nothing, Nothing to actually say, you know, yeah, we, we care about veterans, but, so let's put them on the most socialized type of health care possible. And, uh, you know, the <laughs> the um, the community at large, I think, uh, seems to speak that that doesn't seem to, to work too well. So, you know, Matt, thank you for fighting for our freedom. Here's socialism. Yeah. The, the, the thing we didn't fight for. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't fight for socialism. I fought for you know, freedom and, and capitalism. Yeah. I mean, do you think the, the, the veterans from World War II were like, oh, man, I'm glad the National Socialist Party in Germany is done. Oh, what's this? That They're over here now? Yeah. I'm getting Not that... socialist uh, things, benefits now? Oh, yeah. great. Uh, again, the, the, the uh, socialist policies aren't exactly akin to Nazism. But I'm just saying, you know, we did take a lot of Nazi scientists over in Operation Paperclip, so... Uh, you know, maybe maybe we got one of their so- social programs uh, directors. Yeah, probably. All right. Anything more with that? That about sums it up. So it's been a great that uh, that homelessness has been abolished because the city has moved the encampment over to a piece of their property, setting up a tent city, and therefore solving the issue. Thanks, government. Yeah. All right. Um, so. Episode three, we we introduced the non-aggression principle, which we said was the foundation for all libertarian thought, uh, for the most part. Uh, we're we're going with that general definition. Uh, non-aggression principle says that you can't use um, violence, the threat of violence, force uh, to deprive people of their life, liberty, or property. Um, and we applied that both to individuals. I can't uh, come over to your house, punch you in the nose, and drag you outside and said, "This is mine now." And we said that uh, the government is a collection of people, and because they're a collection of people doesn't mean that uh, they can have 99 tell the, the one that uh, they need to get off their property uh, that they own, that the 99 tells the one person to get off the one person's property. Um, and so we said that the non-aggression principle should apply uh, moralistically, uh, legally, uh, it should apply uh, even across the board for uh, collections of people, aka governments, um, to uh, have the most positive out- outlook uh, or positive benefit, uh, rather than using force. When you use force, you delegitimize uh, whatever you're trying to do, even if uh, you're trying to do good. Uh, so the mob comes in, punches you in the nose, says that they're taking the hundred dollars from your wallet, but they, as they're running out, they say, uh, you know, your neighbors down the street told me that I could do this and you just have to live with it because uh, you uh, didn't sign a, a contract that we'll, we'll say is the social contract. And uh, we're going to go give this money to uh, a food bank in your name. So we promise to do really good things with it. Well, is that still theft? Yeah. Yes, that's still theft. Is that still immoral? Yes, that's still immoral. Even when 99 people tell the one person uh, that uh, that they're the sacrificial lamb. Um you know, you don't have the right to, to, to do that to other people. And we should make sure that we as 
a nation who is or a, a people, a civilization who is trying to um, progress the the species to progress to a um, a, a more not utopian state, but a, a just a better world to live in, um, should not engage in violence because violence is inherently destructive. It's dehuman, dehumanizing, um, and uh, you know, in in every uh, relationship that we have, uh, whether it's uh, you and a friend um, over sh- sharing a video game, uh, you're engaging in the non-aggression principle. When you go into McDonald's and you order a hamburger and you pay a dollar five for it, uh, they're still tax there so uh theft is still being engaged upon you uh but um and, and violence as a result uh but you and and the mcdonald's corporation or the the, the teller or whoever owns the mcdonald's you're engaging in the non-aggression aggression principle um when you have uh, uh a a couch to sell to a poor college student for five bucks you're engaging in the non-aggression principle so um this isn't some you know, pie in the sky, you know, we need to advocate this until the utopian comes about like you have with communism, which is is a uh, evolution from socialism. So people who say communism is bad, uh, we need to understand that that socialism is the, the backdrop by which the communistic state comes about. So um, that's always something that I hear that uh, that isn't um, that isn't always the case when people espouse, you know, oh, this this was communistic. Well, it may have communistic ideals and tendencies, but um, socialism tends to be the the, the benefactor that uh, that topples um, capitalism. Socialism comes about and it brings about the complete utopian state for communism, um, and that's still only done through force. And so we want to to limit the amount of use of force. And one of those areas where force is definitely used is uh, the public education system, uh, both a understanding of a kind of a K through twelfth grade uh, here in the United States, and then also um, colleges. So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about uh, the the non-aggression principle as it applies to public education. So uh, Matt, how come you hate uh, poor people and you just want them to die off by not being able to add two plus two? Because, you know, it's just nobody, poor people smell funny. (laughs) That's why. They're different than me. How come? And I how, don't like them. How, how come? Yeah, it must be just a complete thing to always do, like a, a, a southern accent whenever you try to try to uh, make someone sound less smart. You know, if I was just like, oh, like it's because, yeah, it's because the um, poor people smell. I mean, it just doesn't have the same act as it's because those people are different than me. It's probably all because of the Civil War still. You know, we're northerners. I bet. I wonder if southerners do that kind of thing, or they, or maybe they talk in like a, they talk in like an uppity northern, yeah. like a, a Mr. Howell from right. from Gilligan's Island. Yeah, yeah. But that is funny that it's. I bet it dates back to this the the, the Civil War. There, it's, right. it's like just oh, you want to make someone sound ignorant and stupid? Just just act southern. <laughs> yeah, but there's definitely not trash here in the north. No, not at all. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So, so those southern people they don't they don't go to school. Uh, we don't see um, uh, the education flourishing in the South whatsoever. So, uh, let's let's get back on topic, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, I guess uh, you know how did how did we get into this mess? Because the the way that the that that schooling public schooling is set up isn't the way that it's always been done you know you you have that idea of you know the little house on the prairie uh, you have that one-room schoolhouse but 
it seemed like, um, you know, for for what people didn't know, um, you know, th- that type of education brought about some really impressive understanding and, and ideas. I mean, it, we had the the um, the industrial revolution occur under a a, a type of uh, mindset where where people uh, engaged in education uh, through you know private means for the most part, and it really wasn't until you know um, kind of the 1850s and um, starting into the the 20th century where we have you know the the um, the, the current model that we have. Uh, it was kind of developed by uh, John Dewey, um, who uh, was this uh, progressive thinker who um, he he wanted to stress instead of general education, he wanted to kind of uh, focus on highly vocational um, uh, education. So kind of, uh, you know, you have these industries coming up, we need to educate people to, to be part of those industries. So instead of having kind of a general knowledge and, and studying from books, we need to get rid of those and we need to um, kind of have a, a worker class arise and we need to educate that, that worker class so that they can run the machines or cultivate the land. And believe it or not, this sounds super Soviet in, in a sense. Um, I mean, he, he pretty much was a person who thought that you need to destroy kind of free market capitalism, uh, Judeo-Christian, Greek, Western culture. Uh, you need to limit individuality and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the focus on historical, uh, you know, awareness uh, needed to kind of take a, a subset. And what we needed to do was teach you how to put the widget together and how to program you know, not program, but uh, but to set up the machine uh, that would uh, help you know create the textile. So you know, we've we've had this model for something like you know 120 years, and it has not been reformed at all. Yeah, it's definitely uh, they're taking on the. Uh... They think it's not broken, so they won't fix it. But it's definitely broken; needs to be fixed. Well, and and here's the thing: like you know, we're we're surrounded by teachers. Um, um, you know, I've I've known a number of them. But I think if you talk to anybody, if you did that, you know, man on the street, and you talk to anybody, and you said, "Is the American education system good, or is it, you know, is it getting better?" I don't think you could find a person that said yes. I don't think the most you know, super supportive teacher who is a part of the union, uh, you know, the teachers union would have that type of response. So what does that tell us when we're just continuing on and continuing on and continuing on in the system that hasn't faced reformation yet? Yeah. And the, the sad part with that is, I mean, I guarantee there's, I mean, there's, there's tons of good teachers out there that, that could to- teach things if they were to teach things how they wanted or or what best fit their students, they would do great. But they are forced by the government to adhere to these uh, standards, it's, you know, standardized testing, the Common Core and all that stuff. They're forced to when they're probably sitting there thinking these kids aren't getting it. How am I going to get it through to them when, you know, something else might work for some of those kids? So it's not a teacher thing. It's definitely a policy thing. Yeah. Well, and, and what you're talking about is from a federal level. Um, you know, it wasn't up until 1979 that we even had the Department of Education, which has this insane top-down mentality where <clears throat> they'll tell you, you know, we'll give you X amount of money if you uh, incorporate this, you know, education system into your program. And those who don't take it would just be at a huge disadvantage monetarily. 
Um, but you don't you don't have the Department of Education until you know forty years ago. Um, so it's not a a you know an old system that's that's just you know kind of floundering a little bit here and there. It it really hasn't been going on at least from a federal level standpoint. Yeah. Um. So every year, uh, we continue to spend more money per student uh, on K through twelve, and we have yet to see any test scores increase. Um, there are people that that take umbrage to um, having the test scores be the medium, but you know the the one thing that I always hear is, oh, you know. All we're doing is teaching to the test. It's stupid. It, it doesn't create any um, educational experience, and so we're just teaching to the test. Okay, so if that's your focus and you're teaching to the test, you suck at it. It, it hasn't the, – the test scores haven't improved since you've been teaching to the test, since a, a greater increase in money has been taken out of the hands of people uh, who are saying, you know, uh, here's my tax money. Um, use it towards education. Uh, it, it's hard to find people who fight against um, education or educational spending or increase in education uh, in government because, you know, all you have to say is, won't somebody please think of the children? Uh, so it's it's really hard to, to be against, you know, it's, it's like being for se- uh, sex offender reform. Uh, you're probably not going to win too many converts by saying that you're against education. Yeah, because it's like as soon as people you you say that, like, because I mean, if I'm going to be paying taxes a- into the education system, I would like a bigger say, you know. Uh, but of how they of how they they're going to make all these changes. Uh, but pe- the moment you say, you know, it's, we need to change something, and people are like, well, what about the kids? It's you're just and that, that even if you have a good dis- uh, a way after that, or you say this is because of the kids, you know, I want the kids to do better because they're. They've been slowly and slowly doing worse every year. The you know, the results come out every year, and the the, the tests are just getting worse and worse. So, so we're mm-hmm. going against that for the kids. But no, as soon as someone brings up, well, what about the children? They they just stop listening to you anyway. <laughs> yeah, yep. And then it becomes inherently political. You have taxpayers. You have the schools. You have the administration of the schools. Um, you have the teachers' union. Um, all, all these people, all the politicians, all these people see it as a uh, a vehicle um, for for power, and um, you know uh, the the results don't seem to speak for itself. So th- th- that's one thing that I I don't really know what 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 the what the answer is. So we we talk about this podcast uh, of us continuing to to try and learn about you know what 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 are the answers. If you're not going to teach to the test, I don't know what type of metric would you use to say you know this is a good teacher this is a bad teacher this is a good student this is a bad student this is a good curriculum this is a you know if you're not doing aptitude testing what you know what exactly would be the metric that you would you would use you really i mean yeah that, that's a good question because it's, it's hard to if you don't have you know a baseline or something then you don't know you can't really measure on whether the kid's doing good or not unless yeah. you, you know fast forward 20 years from then and be like oh hey look <laughs> he did do good <laughs> yeah. that one thing that i don't do anymore actually worked <laughs> i mean I, that that's the thing you go, go go to the to the end of your your high school career uh if you've been a product of a public education from kindergarten to to you know your senior year how, how much yeah. do you remember as far as 
you know, utilization of, of that knowledge. You know, I, I can think of, you know, being drilled, the New Deal is, was the best thing ever in every single history <laughs> text. And then you come to find out that, hey, you know what? Paying people to do absolutely nothing, it didn't seem to work. In fact, it seemed to uh, retard the, the recovery of, of the Great Depression. And it seemed to, uh, you know, uh, have a long-lasting impact on society and people as a whole, especially during the time when, you know, people were starving and had no money or jobs. So, you know, if, if, you, if you tease something bad for long enough and it gets in people's mind, um, there, there's, there's no way to correct that. But at the same time, things like trigonometry or, you know, hey, uh, here's a math class. Well, when am I going to use it? Well, you're going to use it for the test. I remember being told that all the time, but there's no application for it. And so as, if you don't ever do, you know, uh, algebra uh, for your job, then you're told, well, you'd never use it. But algebra is one of the biggest things you probably would use on a daily basis if you had to interact with, you know, um, uh, math in, in your current uh, life. Yeah, one thing I have to say to all those teachers, though, too, is they always is, said... Is it Leave Those Kids use... Alone? No, <laughs> but that's a good song. <laughs> um, is they never let you use a calculator on your test because they <laughs> said you're not going to have a calculator on you at all times. Yeah. Well, guess what now, teachers? I've got a supercomputer in my pocket, so <laughs> suck on that. There you go. Should have let me use a calculator. Yeah. My calculator, I can just take a picture of the question and it'll solve it for me. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, here, here's some of the numbers that I found. Uh, if, if we're going to quantify it, if we're going to talk about um, w- what this what this cost uh, is to people and what are the, the, the results of, of those costs. So the national average per student per year is $10,500. That's on, on a national average per student per year. However, in Michigan, where we live, $11,600 is per student per year. But then I found uh, D.C. is one of the highest on average with $20,000. And we know that Washington, D.C. is just a paragon of, of public education. I mean, people are they had to build a wall around D.C. to stop people from clamoring to get the great public education in Washington, D.C. Uh, the biggest one that I found was, was Camden, New Jersey, with a grand total of $23,500. And I think if you're going to be spending that much per student per year, you you would want to tout that as the the you know here here you go here once you uh, you know there's that South Park episode of uh, you know uh, how much money does Magic Johnson have to drink in order for him to not have AIDS like here's here's yeah. the amount of money where the school system stops sucking and and you know we just have the the most literate people we have the best. Um, utilization of of science curriculum uh here's you know our mathletes here's you know the new inventions that are are you know elementary students are coming up with and and uh putting to to use in the workforce but you don't see that you don't see that with twenty three thousand five hundred dollars per student in new jersey camden new jersey and those were those were public schools right, right yeah yeah this isn't factoring in yeah, cost per student anything with 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 uh, private education, yeah. Because I, I just Googled private, you know, average cost of private school in the U.S., approximately mm-hmm. uh, 10413 per year. With, like, the, the uh, elementary schools right around 
9,400 and private high schools around 14,205 per year. So it's kind of interesting that the average cost of private education, which granted it's going to fluctuate where you're at, um, is right around the same cost per student per year yeah. as public well, education. Well, and, you know, th- those numbers are de- deceptive, too, because, you know, we, 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 th- we think about, okay, on little Johnny's back, we have pinned to him $23,500 in Camden, New, New Jersey. So every time he buy, uh, that they buy a textbook for him, okay, subtract money. Every time that, you know, uh, we pay a teacher, subtract money from him. But, no, uh, the number of support staff has increased from, in 19, from 1970 by 100%. And this isn't like teacher helpers. This is mostly an administration. If you go to uh, s- some of the, the local schools here and you, you go by their administration building, you know, they're, they're the palaces. The schools aren't. The new administration building that they uh, constructed is, is the one. But yet there's no change in the education numbers. Uh, graduation uh, rate for high school is only 84%. Um, in is it Mississippi, that's 3% of black students graduate. Wow. Uh, 60% graduate into, to a college. 70% on average, and this is nationally, are literate. So 30% of people go through 13 years of public education and are unable to read to, to a, a level that helps them. And, you know, in math, you can say, well, when will I use this? But you kind of read every day. Yeah. Um, California, 70% of black boys cannot read as of 2017. So th- this is something that, that affects people on a, a uh, disproportionate racial lines. So, of course, this means that all schools, especially in the heart of you know, New York and California, are, are racist and absolutely hate uh, black people. Or, you know, or is it or is it a system where you, you are a cookie cutter of of what you have to be? And if you don't fall within that that shape of whatever they're trying to mold you into, then you get dumped by the wayside. Um, yeah. 16 percent of African-American students proficient in reading and 13 percent proficient in math as of 2015. I mean, you know. When 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 is it ever OK to continue to pass people? who are lacking just the, the basic skills for a Western civilization lifestyle. I mean, if, if you can't read, I mean, that, that's, that's what you can't learn. You, it, you'd have to teach yourself how to learn in order to learn. And if you can't read, I mean, you're, you're at the, the biggest disadvantage. But yet we continue to just um, progress people. I mean, uh, you and I were watching uh, the Netflix series Last Chance You, where... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have these football players who are talented and were talented in high school and they go to college and they fail because they have to meet academic standards. But I mean, they're, they're, they're not functioning students. They're attempting to get by on taking very, very basic classes. Not all, of course, but you know, in this, in this junior college area, uh, you know, the, the academic standards aren't, you know, the super you know, you're, you're not taking, you know, uh, brain surgery, biology, you're attempting to take, you know, art or, you know, uh, grammar. And people are still struggling with that. And we're still 
putting them into a classroom setting that is predominantly based on, you know, your age. You know, when, when, where else would we do that? We wouldn't do that anywhere else. Okay, well, you know, if you're 34, you have to have this job instead of, hey, you're 34 and really good at, you know, mechanical engineering to, to put together this, uh, you know, engine. Uh, well, you can't have that job with, uh, with the car manufacturer. Uh, you have to uh, you have to be be an artist. Yeah, that's some of the craziest stuff. The the the, the idea that this cookie cutter version uh, of teaching works for every single person is what baffles me. That like that we wouldn't think of you know multiple ways or or, or just a better way to teach a lot of these kids because not. No, no two kids are going to learn the same. Right. Well, and when you have to teach a class of 30 kids uh, the same, um, you know, th- there's there's no, there's no, if, if you slow down for one, uh, you're slowing everyone else down. And, you know, <laughs> you know, we, you and I both went to public school. When you had the class clown act out or that person who wanted to be the center of attention and kind of derail class. You had to wait. You had to ho- hopefully he got kicked out, but he probably didn't. You know, the teacher uh, had to just you know uh, proceed along, or if they send him out, they're going to send him right back in. Um, you know, there there's no trying to bifurcate people into you know, hey, you're you're really good in this uh, uh, subject, or you know, let's take algebra. Let's say that you're really good with you know exponents. Well, you know, th- th- you can't test out of exponents to go on to, uh, you know, uh, p- uh, parent- parenthetical math. You have to continue to stay with the class, which is always done either at the, the teacher's uh, pace, which is what the-, the book tells you to do, or you have to uh, kind of find the weakest link and go along with that person. Um, and that person who is struggling to get it probably uh, is just being told the, the same means of, of education. So, you know, here, here's the step to do it. Well, is there other steps? Well, I haven't been trained to, to do other steps. Here's how the book tells us to do it. Or, you know, he, there's there's no other way to think about it. So let's just hurry up and get this. There's no teaching to the student. It's always teaching to the, to the group, to the class. All right, folks, I think that's where we're going to end it for today. Um, check back later this week where we'll have part two of uh, the discussion of the non-aggression principle, how it relates to education. As always, live radically and live free. And privatize it.